Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. My guest today is Mandy Schultz, Marketing Manager for Heart Dairy. Mandy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. We had a great conversation and introduction at Expo West, and I'm really happy to resume it. Me too. And I covered Expo West a few shows ago. I talked about the highlights. Yours was one of them. And right now, I'm doing a couple different interviews with people that I saw there and wanted to explore more. We had Rich Powells of Rich Nuts on last week, and now have you, and we're going to talk all about Heart Dairy. Wonderful. So let's start with you telling the listeners how you ended up getting involved with Heart Dairy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure what a traditional path is, but I don't think mine is one. I used to work in tech as a marketer, and I was laid off in January of 2020 when the tech company that I was working for got acquired by another huge company. So I don't know if anyone in the audience has ever been laid off before, but it was a little (laughs) challenging. And then a former coworker of mine recommended a recruiter to me. And I gave this woman my shoot for the moon kind of Christmas gift. I might as well have said, I want a pony, you know, a kind of idea of a career role. And Erin, she came back to me with this heart dairy opportunity, and I couldn't believe it. It matched everything that I wanted to do. So I had my first video chat with Tim over the phone, and then I had a few more in-person interviews with some of the team members, and it was just a wonderful fit. So I started in March 2020, right at the height of the beginning of the pandemic. So that's how it began. I've been laid off, so I know what that's like. And I found that actually a lot of people in real food didn't go the traditional path. They've come from all over. In fact, I've had many that have worked in tech and IT. Yeah. So it's a wonderful transition and I'm thankful it happened. It led me to Heart Dairy. Excellent. So what do you see as what makes Heart Dairy unique in the dairy industry? There are several factors here, Aaron. I'd really like to talk about who we are as a company first, because that does make us unique. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, we're a team of folks that it's time to care about your milk. Our founding farmer, Dr. Richard Watson, and our CEO, Tim Connell, they started Heart Dairy with a goal of treating cows humanely, you know, making highly nutritious milk accessible for more people in the U.S., and building an environmentally sustainable dairy. And Tim really made sure I knew that when I talked about that first video chat we had. He said, look, this is why we're starting this company. It's not happening in the U.S., and we want to do it. So every day, no matter what somebody's role is within this company, we're operating off of those values. And the heart dairy culture is really important to me and to everyone who works for heart dairy. It really is more of a family atmosphere. You know, you can't go out and want to change the world if you don't do things right from where it starts, and that's from within the company. So Wanted to start with that, moving on to our milk and what makes our products unique. We are the only national milk brand to sell milk that comes from cows that are pasture-raised and grass-fed 365 days a year. So just to stop and think, that means they're always outside eating fresh green grass and they are never confined. So that really aligns with our stance on animal welfare. You know, we're really proud to be the first pasteurized dairy cow operation in the United States to be certified humane. We're very, very proud of that. Second, compared to conventional milk, Our milk, which is, like I said, 365-day pasture-raised and grass-fed, has more nutritional value per serving. This includes 
really important nutrients like omega-3s. These can support things like brain, heart, and eye health, obviously very important. Beta-carotene, that plays an important role in your immune system. And conjugated linoleic acids, it's a mouthful, we call them CLAs, and studies show those to have a positive effect on metabolism. So those are all things that are very important. This isn't just us saying it. There's a study that came out a few weeks ago saying that farms that were engaged in regenerative practices over five to 10 years produced more nutritious milk that had higher amounts of minerals and photochemicals. So it just boils down to our soil being nutrient rich due to that regenerative farming. And the third thing that just makes us different is that we care about the planet. You know, our regenerative agriculture practice works with nature and not against it. And that's what farming factory does. And that's what we're against. We produce healthy plants and it just simply pulls that carbon out of the atmosphere. What frustrates us and what's not just frustrating, it's endangering the planet, is that factory farming depletes the soil and it's releasing that carbon in the atmosphere. And that contributes to global warming, Aaron. And that's not us. It's just frustrating. And I think you can tell we and I get riled up about that. So do I. And so you're bringing up both the health benefits and the environmental benefits. Let's focus a little more on the health benefits first. I know a lot of people have trouble digesting dairy, and there have been many reasons given for it. The pasteurization, the A1 cows, but do you think it's possible that maybe part of just the reason people have trouble digesting dairy is because of the factory farms and when cows are raised on pastures, especially like yours, 365 days a year, it makes it easier for people to digest dairy. Yeah. And again, I am not a scientist, but I do know that there are more nutritional benefits coming from the pasture raised grass fed cows. And the studies show that. So again, if you know you have an allergy, I don't want to recommend that people try that. Right. But I do know that there are reports when people have tried pasture raised and grass fed milk, that they are able to digest it because of the quality of the cows. For example, we have Jersey Friesian cows, and they're a smaller breed of cow, but they live to be up to 12 years old, whereas factory farming cows are normally Holsteins, right? And they live to be up to four to five years old. But we chose those because they produce a higher quality type of milk. And Aaron, they actually produce fewer gallons of milk per day But we chose this because it's a more ethical way to produce milk because it's higher quality milk and they live longer. We could have said, hey, let's get a bunch of Holsteins and produce less quality milk and they don't live as long, but we can make more milk. But we decided not to go that route. You know, we wanted to produce higher quality milk and the cows live longer. That's great. And the other benefit of it is it's good for the planet. Yeah. You've talked about regenerative agriculture. There are a number of different regenerative certifications Yours is with A Greener World. What made you decide on that specific program? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to explain a little bit of how they define it. So hang with me, and then I'll explain why we decided to be a pilot participant. Sure. So we're really proud to be about one of 50 farms in the world to be accepted as a pilot participant in their certified regenerative program. And they describe it as a whole farm assurance of sustainability, measuring benefits for soil, water, air, biodiversity, infrastructure, animal welfare, and social responsibility. So it's around a continuous improvement program. It's not static. We're really confident in what we're doing today. And this is what A Greener World helps us strive for. We applied and accepted into it because we want to have defined and measured progress. It's not prescriptive. They're not saying you have to do X or Y. We have one of the world's foremost agronomists and Dr. Richard Watson, and we trust him. So we're just in the process of collecting all of our data to submit our plan. And it's just a great fit for us because it proves we're doing what we say we want to do and we want to provide transparency. 
I love it. Yeah, so do I. We have a really great relationship with that team over there. The executive director is Emily Moose and the communications and outreach manager is Katie Amos. We actually got to meet them at Expo West and in person, which was great because we have been communicating them like most people during the pandemic just over video or over the phone. So to finally have a meaningful chat and just to see that they're, hey, you're a live human being, you know, at the booth was really nice. That is absolutely and in addition to the Greener World Regenerative Certification, I know you have a number of other ones as well. Why don't you tell us about those? Absolutely. And I really want to stress why we have these, because it's really important to have high-quality third-party certifications. We're unique in that we can provide milk that's better for consumers and the animals and the planet, but we don't want to just go around saying that. So we need outside organizations to verify this. So we talked about being certified humane, and we were very proud to be that first pasteurized dairy cow operation in the U.S. to be that. Again, if, and I'm not sure if you've spoken with these people or not, but the executive director, Mimi Stein, and her whole team is just wonderful. We have a great relationship with them. And then again, with A Greener World, we're also animal welfare approved. So they have an excellent rating on consumer reports. So again, when you talk about third party, that's a great one. That's talking about animals being raised in accordance with the highest welfare standards there. So that's another great one for us. And a couple other ones. We're also non-GMO project verified at Kosher for Dairy. And lastly, and while this one isn't a certification, I think it's important to include that we're Shop With Your Heart verified by ASPCA. If you're familiar with this one, you can go to their grocery list on their website and just filter it in. For example, for us, you can say, I want pasture-raised milk. They're never confined. They've got to be animal welfare approved and certified humane. And then heart dairy pops right up. And we're only one of, I think, two or three dairies that that's the case. So it's really cool. And that's with the ASPCA? Correct. So it's not a certification, but it's a heck of a stamp of approval because ASPCA is really synonymous with treating animals well. It is. I like the ASPCA a lot, and I like how they're an animal organization that is willing to work within the meat and dairy industry. They're not one of the ones that's all anti-meat and dairy. I've seen them actually give a talk with other people at Expo West about regenerative agriculture. So I really love that organization for what they do. Absolutely, because it's tough, right, being in the dairy industry and Dairy gets a bad rap, mm-hmm. and for a reason. When we talk about factory farming, that's what we have to separate ourselves from. And we want to say, I really want to reiterate that we're about farmers doing things the right way. We don't want to say, oh, only hard dairy does things the right way. That's not true. Anybody that treats their cows well, their pasture raised and grass fed, they're not confined. That's what we're for. We're just against factory farming and destroying the planet and treating animals poorly. Totally. And a lot of these animal rights organizations, whereas ASPCA is considered an animal welfare organization, a lot of the animal rights organizations, although they ultimately advocate veganism, the thing is a lot of their focus still is on factory farms. And I think we need to work more at agreeing on that part all around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we can all just kind of work together and figure out how we can promote animal welfare and just work to get together. And I don't think people have to be so extreme. I mean, I'm not trying to talk like a bumper sticker, but I think people can't coexist. But I think it's just going to conjure up images of that bumper sticker. We can. And that's very much, to me, it seems the mission of ASPCA, which is why I love them so much. Yeah. Now, on your website, it talks about how your milk isn't organic because you found a better way, which that's very intriguing to me. I'd love for you to explain this more. 
Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you asking this because this all is around animal welfare, which I think might be a little, I don't know if it's shocking, but people might be like, huh, because we do, as this probably has become evident during this conversation, really put animal welfare as the top of our priorities. Mm -hmm. But we're not able to do that under the organic standard. So when one of our cows is sick, we have to give her medication for her to recover and get better faster. It's really not unlike when you or I get sick, most people take medication. And so, of course, we separate her from the milk and from the production, and you make sure that the milk never gets into the, the milking supply, excuse me, and we make sure she's fully back on track. But organic factory farms can't do that. They aren't allowed to treat their sick cows with antibiotics, so they're sold off for other purposes. And that's not animal welfare to us. If your kid had a runny nose, you give them medicine. Most people do. So we just allow the cow to be sick. We separate them from the herd, and then they come back. Our remedies are just therapeutic. So you can see, being an organic farm, we had to find another way. It just wasn't good enough for us. That just didn't align with animal welfare. So we just had to ensure that those cows who can live up to be 12 years old, they were able to take their medicine and then just come back in when they were feeling fine. I think that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people look for the organic certification on everything, and there are a lot of great things about the USDA organic certification. I want to get that clear. Yeah. For one, the awareness it's raised of organics and that there are certain pesticides that you can't spray on them. Of course, there are organic pesticides that it allows. But you, I would say, go further than organic with regenerative. And I know this is a question that comes up a lot of should there be a regenerative organic certification or not. With regenerative agriculture, I would say it's very hard to not be organic with a lowercase o, not necessarily the organic certification. Right. I think it's very hard to use pesticides when you're doing regenerative practices. So just so you know, at Heart and Dairy, our pesticides are only used in the event of a major outbreak that would potentially ruin like our entire field. Right. And that wouldn't leave any grass to feed the cows. We haven't used any pesticides this year or last year, as in October of 2021. And if a field does get sprayed, it's not grazed by the cows for at least a few weeks. So I just wanted to clarify that. Sure. I think that is a tough one. You and I don't have our crystal ball here. But I do know what people want is honesty and transparency and proof based on science-based outcomes, which I think is really important for consumers to have because it shows what is doing and it can be measured and what's going to matter. So the University of Georgia covered seven years of the life on our farms in a nature peer-reviewed journal, and it was around carbon sequestration. And our fields removed up to 17,800 pounds of carbon, which was something like 7,000 pounds a year on average. It's like thousands of cars off the road in 12 months and millions of bags of trash getting recycled instead of going to a landfill. And you can just go to our website and get those exact numbers. But it's just really crazy when you think about that. So I think that just goes back to showing that people want results that matter and that's measurable. So I don't think the seal itself matters if it doesn't measure what the impact has. So if it's just slapped on the carton, I'm not sure what people want that. I think consumers want to know what does that mean and what are you doing? So we always have to strive to be better and to evolve because I know at Hard Dairy we stand for improving. So what we at Hard Dairy do and what we want other companies to do is have a demonstrable impact on society. We don't know how it's going to evolve. We just know how we want it to evolve. And that's to measure what's being done. That's a very good point you bring up. I think a lot of people right now still don't know what regenerative agriculture is. I am amazed at how it's used a lot more than, say, 
a couple of years ago, say right before the pandemic, when there was the last in-person Expo West show <laughs> and yes. coming to this one in person, I was amazed at how much the term is now used, but a lot of people still don't know what it means. And I would like to see a time where it replaces organic as what everyone looks for in food. We'll see. Maybe that can happen. Yeah, exactly. And I would too. And say, okay, regenerative agriculture means that you are sequestering this amount of carbon out of the atmosphere. You're checking the runoff. You're checking the soil quality. You're talking about biodiversity, you know, things like that that can be measured. And it's also a matter of education. Some of these things are confusing. When was your last bio class? <laughs> it's a matter of education. And that's, as a marketer, that's on us to educate consumers. That was actually 30 years ago for me, which is weird to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a hot minute. <laughs> but yes, and I think if you look back to organic at the beginning of the 2000s, I'm sure a lot of people back then didn't know what it means. I'm not sure I really did. Yeah, right. And so you also have the grass-fed certification, as you talked about earlier. What's the requirement for cows to be labeled as grass-fed? And how does heart dairy compare to the minimum requirement? Oh, Aaron, this one gets me and the heart dairy team right up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think I'm going to like this. <laughs> okay. So it really bears worth repeating that we're advocating for transparency. So we're just saying if it's grass-fed, then actually be grass-fed and call yourself what you are. So we're on pasture. The cows are outdoor being grass-fed every single day of the year. So that just makes common sense to me. Mm -hmm. And you and your listeners might know this, but I just want to say this in case somebody doesn't know this. But the certifications in the U.S. are misleading because there are two well-known standards that only require 120 to 150 days on pasture to call themselves grass-fed. So that means over half the year, the cows are indoors and the companies can still sell grass-fed milk. That's crazy to me. Me too. It's very misleading to consumers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm not in the dairy industry, which prior to March 2020, I wasn't, and I see something that says grass-fed, then I'm thinking the cows are out in the pasture. I mean, it says grass-fed, but that is not what's happening most of the time. And we want that changed. Absolutely. It reminds me of what holistic veterinarian Will Winter once said, how he ate grass one time. Does that make him grass-fed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just misleading and I feel duped. You know, my friends are not tired of hearing it because I educate them on it and they get frustrated as I do. You work really hard and you have this purchasing power. And I think that's the way, Aaron, that we can make a change because I can say that I want this to happen and I work for a company, but if consumers start buying not just products like ours, but anything where animal welfare is of the top concern, I think that's where companies are going to be like, oh, we have to do this. The scale starts going down. I mean, it might be a little bit of a pessimistic view, but I do think it's the truth. You talk about how the cows are grass-fed 365 days a year. How do you do this when they're, say, bad weather conditions? It's cold or it's raining. Oh, great question. A couple things. One, we're in a geoclimatic sweet spot. So that is how they can be outside 365 days a year. Our farms are located in Waynesboro, Georgia, which is just south of Augusta. And the cows actually prefer temperatures like 70-ish degrees. And being when they're cold or raining, the cows are actually fine with that. I could get you to talk to Maggie Rendell and Cliff Rendell. They're our head farmers about the exact temperatures, but they are good with that. And it's not going to be something where they're suffering. I mean, I 
can't stress that enough. It's just they're okay with that. It's not like you and I when we're shivering out in the rain. It's just they're built for that. And then in the summer, you can see these spigots. You might have seen them go over if you're driving anywhere by a farm sometimes. You can see them and there's just these long lines and they have water spraying down from them and they slowly move. And then so that way all the cows are just getting misted because, you know, it gets hotter in Georgia. So then they always have that. And then, of course, they have the water pool where they can go to all the time. And I really hear what people are saying when you ask that because you almost think of cows and you want to think of them like humans, but they're just not. They're not. So it's a lot of misunderstanding about how cows can actually thrive in weather conditions that we can't. Yes, exactly. But I understand the question, and it's a good one. And we get that a lot. And it's just like, hey, you know, they're not like humans. But that's okay. It's worth educating people on. Sure. And I'm sure that that's a big part of where you come in as the marketing manager. Yeah. And another thing, it is a great question, because I do answer a lot of the questions we get. And another one, just when we talk about humane treatment, I think it's really worth saying that our cows have a lameness rate, which is just another word for pain, of less than 1%. But the national average, and this is really a conservative one, Aaron is 25%, which is just a little heartbreaking. That means one out of four cows are in pain. And we measure the cow's health every day. So I think that's really important to note. So every day we measure their movement in a real-time health tracker, and that measures their well-being. And that's how we're able to tell that they're not in pain. So that's just another tangible way of how we know how they're doing. And while we're at it, I know that I'm supposed to be the interviewer here, but since you've mentioned a few questions you commonly get, are there any other ones that you constantly are asked and you would like to provide an answer for right here? (laughs) Oh, man, let's see. Oh, you know what? How about why do you have to shake your milk when it's homogenized? (laughs) Which is a good one. Yes, that's a good one. So our milk is not homogenized? Yes, smart choice. Yes. It doesn't fully keep all the components of the milk in full suspension during the shelf life of the product. So homogenization emulsifies the cream within the water component of the milk, but there are also milk solids, like mostly the protein component and the minerals, and those aren't fat-based. And so they don't become emulsified during the homogenization process. Right. And so when you shake it, it ensures that you're getting the full and even nutritional benefit, which of course we want, right? We talked about all those benefits, so we got to make sure you get them. And then of course, that smooth and even flavor and the texture of the milk. And so the components are easily mixed. So it's a really great question that we get. And yeah, we just want to make sure that that's why we know. And then another one is just where can I find your milk? Because we're really, really growing. We're in over 2,500 stores now. And if you just go to our store locator on heartdairy.com and you can just type in your zip code and you can find out where we are. We just got authorized in Sprout. Oh, great. We'll be there in mid-May and we'll be there nationwide. We'll have our whole and 2% nationwide, except for in California, it'll just be the whole. Oh, that's fine. I only drink whole. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, there you go. (laughs) And there's a Sprouts right by me, so that's perfect. Yes! Oh my gosh, you'll have to email me a picture with you when you get it. I'll be so excited. I'll share it with our team. Oh, absolutely. I'll post that on social media too. How oh, excited great. I am yeah. to see guys in Sprouts. Yes. Another question I'm sure you may get asked all the time is, do you feed the cows anything other than grass? Any supplements? Okay. So yeah, so that is a really good question. 90% of the cow's diet is definitely grass-fed, but it does need to be supplemented from time to time just to optimize the health and productivity of the cow. But the supplements are all non-GMO, and this includes canola, bean meal, and that's for extra protein, and ground wheat and corn for 
energy. But this is the optimal nutrition based on science is 90% grass and less than 10% of the cow's total diet based on what I just said. And all that is done is just to address any nutritional shortfalls, and that just ensures the health and productivity of the cow. And it definitely doesn't affect any of the grass-fed benefits in the milk, but it's really important to address that 90% to 10% ratio is the best for the health of the cow. Right. So the vast majority is fed grass. And I know for dairy, it is very hard to do 100% grass fed. My understanding is there's only a couple regions where you can really do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, as explained to me by Dr. Richard Watson, we prefer not to do 100% grass fed. That that 90 to 10% is the optimum for nutrition because there's energy resources that they can't get if it's 100% grass fed. So we intentionally do that 10% with that things, including the non-GMO, the canola, the bean meal, all of that, and wheat and corn, because it gives them that energy that wouldn't come if they had all grass all the time. Interesting. And you've talked about how you don't have the organic certification because you see as a way of treating the cows humanely, it's going beyond organic, essentially what you do. Right. What other ways would you say the cows are humanely treated? Oh, well, they're definitely not tied up in stalls. So I think that would be the main one. And just because they get to be in their natural environment, just being outside every day in their normal social groups is how it is. That's the big one. It's everything we don't do. <laughs> how it is. I think it would be too long to list. I think the best answer is being outside every day, not being confined, being grass-fed. That's it. It's how farms should operate. So it would be too long for me to list off all the bad factory farming practices for not doing it. <laughs> oh, sure. And you can go back into the archives of this podcast, and I'm sure learn about it in more detail on some of the shows. So if you haven't listened to my earlier ones, if this is your first one, please go back and listen to some of the other shows. <laughs> focus on the positives of the things we're doing and that's what makes us proud of what we're doing well let's continue with that and let's go into what are the current products that you sell right now we sell our whole milk our chocolate whole milk and two percent we definitely have future plans where milk is an ingredient in uh, other products and they'll look they'll have that same 365 day pasture-raised grass-fed benefits but we're growing so aggressively like i said we'll be in over 2500 stores all of our energies are just focused there. We're just about out of time. But before we go, is there anything else you'd like to let the listeners know about Heart Dairy? Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> I really just appreciate it. And we're really proud of what we're doing and proud to be growing. If anybody would like to talk with myself about what we're doing or this resonates with you or just wants to have a conversation, you know, you're like-minded, anything like that, we're happy to chat with you. You can email me at Mandy, M-A-N-D-Y, at heart, H-A-R-T, dairy, D-A-I-R-Y, dot U-S. Or if it's easier, like you're driving down the road or whatever, don't feel like writing that. If it's easier to contact Aaron, Aaron, you can send them along my way. We're just really open to community feedback, and we'd love to hear from you. Oh, I'd be glad to forward them your way. And also let the listeners know where they can go online to learn more about Heart Dairy. Yeah, Sounds absolutely. great. So you can go to anything we are Heart Dairy on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find us there. And then for LinkedIn, if you just look for us, Heart Dairy and LinkedIn will pop right up. Mandy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Aaron. I really enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, it was so great meeting you at Expo West. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Me too. And it was so great that we were able to meet in person at Expo West again. I forgot how great that was. Yes. <laughs> 
That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of this show are now released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.